This is a special episode of the Broomwagon podcast. You know the topic, the migration gravel race, but you don't know why you are listening to that. Keep tight, you're going to know it in a couple of seconds. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Broom Wagoon. How are you feeling, people? I'm feeling super good. Actually, whom? Yes, the Stefano, aka Calamaro, uh, always me. And you're going to listen to this special episode of the Broom Wagon and everything I ride for a special reason. First of all, thanks a lot for tuning in. Second thing, remember to share, subscribe, and do whatever. I'm going to keep everything tight. But the story is super easy. You remember that some month ago, I would say at that moment, I talked together with Sule and Michael, and we talked about that's great, amazing ride race called the Migration Gravel Race. Uh, we talked about the foundation, we talked about the race itself, Tima Mani, people that would have supported it and would have taken part to it. And uh, yeah, everything was at the beginning of the journey. A lot of things changed, but the thing that didn't change was the date. At the end of June, everything happened and everything went live and the race itself was a great blast. Um, I was following the race on the social media when uh, Davide, Davide is the uh, editor-in-chief, uh, yes, the publisher-director of this amazing magazine, cycling magazine called Alvento in Italian. So I was following it in the social media while Davide called me and said, Stefano, um, am I remembering correct that you already interviewed Michael and Sule about the migration grab race some months ago? Yes, I did. And I also remember that you pitched the idea of writing a piece on that. Yes, it's correct. Well, what do you think about writing it really right now? Because it's going to go directly into the, the new issue, the new issue of the magazine. I said, yes, okay, I can do that. You know that I'm not going to talk too much about the race itself, so competition and stuff. I'm going to talk a bit more about something else. Yeah, 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 I know your style. Um, okay, cool. When's the deadline? Yeah, the deadline is the day after tomorrow. Then I think that this, the word stopped working for one second, stop spinning. And then I put stuff together and said, look, David, I cannot reach this deadline, but give me 10 days more and I'm going to make it happen. 10 days because I was also planning to go to Abruzzo to do my um, Holy Week and I could not actually fit together the writing, the collecting the information and uh, yeah, talking with people and make the uh, this article happen. But Davide kindly agreed on moving the deadline. So during my holy week, I had the opportunity to talk with people and putting together ideas. And then when I came back home, I started writing it. But I was still missing one piece. So talking again with Michael. Michael is the race director of the Migration Gravel Race. Um, so I actually told him, look, Michael, I'm going to write the article. So I have deadline ready there. It was Monday and I had deadline on Wednesday. So just visualize it. Monday morning on the train, messaging with Michael. Michael, I need to write an article about the migration grabber race by the day after tomorrow. Do you have time this afternoon on having a chat so we will put pieces together? Yes, of course, Stefano, let's do it. Uh, we had a call in the afternoon and I recorded the call with all the information in order to have all the information there without taking notes and stuff. So I was ready the day after to write the article. And uh, yes, we actually had the chat, 
had the recording and then by the end of this episode uh sorry the end of this recording i told michael michael what do you think if i'm gonna go live um with this interview so uh i think it's great content and he told me yes stefano i'm easy you're gonna listen to that i'm easy so you can do that so I waited until the article went live. Actually, now in all the uh, newspaper shops, it's there. Um, if you speak Italian, if you are Italian or whatever, just look for Alvento on Google. And uh, wherever you are, you can buy it online or go directly to your shop to buy it. Um, because I thought, okay, let's go live with the article itself. And then probably I can publish, publish something more. Uh, that is our chat with, uh, with Michael. You're gonna find a lot of details. You're gonna find a lot of um, turned back and uh, on the conversation that we first had, I think it was in January. And uh, you're gonna listen also to the swans uh, outside of my window. And you're gonna listen to our tone of voice and our chatting, pretty casual, pretty cool, pretty warm. And I hope you like it. Uh, I liked it a lot. I actually uh, ended up editing it in the last days. I listened to that and it's just super beautiful. And as well, um, I also checked a bit of the photos that the super talented Salt Lake Lian uh, shot there on, uh, on the go during the race in June. And if you want to see something more, you will find everything, of course, in the Instagram account of the Migration Gravel Race, in the Instagram account of Salt Lake Lian, on the Instagram account of Tim Amani, on the Instagram account of myself, uh, because I just publishing it also for the launch of this episode. And of course, a bunch of photos from Salt Lake Lian are also in the magazine Alvento. It's a paper magazine. And remember just if you get yours, once you open it, you need to switch off your phone because this kind of super great content can only be written. I'm not gonna say consumed because content is not something that you consume, but it's something that you keep on yourself for a long time, but that's another story. Um, you need to do it actually with your head completely empty for all the destruction and the notification there out. Um, Yes, I don't know how I arrived there, but the thing that I can tell you is that it was a great chat and I also say thank you for uh, having this chat to Michael and to agree on go live with it. I have to say thank you to Salt Lake, Lian, that put me in contact with uh, Michael. I have to say thank you to all the people that I talk with in order to make the article um, Yes, working and being there on the magazine. And I mean, apart from Michael, there is Sule, there is David Kinja. For sure, I will forget somebody. Um, so I said David Kinja, there is Sule, Gangangi, there is Peter from Chasing the Peloton podcast, there is Jan Boswell, um, a bunch of other people. Thanks a lot for being part of this journey with me. I have also some recording of them, so probably I'm going to make another episode about that. I don't know, I need to work on it. And uh, thanks a lot to David, actually, also to give me the opportunity um, to write this great piece. Nothing else. I'm not going to actually uh, talk again at the end because I think it's really too much. Uh, I just want to leave you in uh, on the chat, with the chat that we had with Michael. And that would really put everything in a context. And you will know more about the Migration Grabber Race, about Michael, about, his, about everything. And uh, that's really great so what else i will leave you here and uh, as usual you know my contacts calamaro.cc on the instagram hello at calamaro.cc is my email what else yes everything uh, you know it already if you want subscribe to my uh, newsletter everything is in the description below if you want support me on coffee 
you know what I mean. But now the most important thing is the story. So please enjoy it. Let me know, please, what you think. Share it wherever you can because it's super important for me. I don't know where we when we are gonna talk again, people. I have to be completely sincere. Just enjoy this special episode. We're gonna talk soon, anyways. Pretty good, thank you. I just came back from uh, one week in Italy of uh, riding and taking my time and trying to do a couple of uh, shooting and stuff for a couple of projects. But yeah, it was nice. Just a ride. I mean, I've seen on your social media and your commute that you've been doing a decent amount of riding lately. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I was invited for an event last week, so two weekends ago. Yeah. And uh, I was there, and then plus the last week I was in Abruzzo. Usually with some friends, we are just meeting all together, and uh, we are just doing a bit of amount, a good amount of riding in uh, some cool places where we have never been, or at least one of us usually knows the place and guide us all, and the other ones it's they are just discovering something new. And this was the case. We have been in uh, Abruzzo. And yeah. uh, it's an amazing place. I've never been there in my life, even if I come from the south, but never been there. And Gran Sasso is just, wow, it's a special place. I really loved it. Nice, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about you? Uh, first of all, congratulations for the race. Second thing, what are you doing in Switzerland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, on the first one, thank you. Um, uh, on the second one, my uh, my wife... Got a, got a job in the UN. Mm-hmm. Um, she was working at the court with me, and uh, we've been at the IC. I've been at the ICC for eleven years, and in the Hague as well. So, when the opportunity came to move to Geneva, it was too much to pass up. Yes. So, uh, are you happy? I'm working, I'm working remotely right now for the course. Um, my kids are here now, and they're playing in the grass and going in the mountains every weekend and learning French. So it's uh, it's nice. I would say that you are happy then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I can tell you that actually it took my girlfriend so much time in order to convince me to come over to Switzerland. But since I'm here, I'm just the happiest person ever. This place here is just amazing. Where are you in Switzerland? I'm in Zurich. Zurich, nice. Yeah, we should meet at a certain point totally, in man. our life. Yes. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I'm gonna go to the to Lausanne this weekend because I'm also collaborating with uh, a trust. It's kind of an association. It's called She Sports Switzerland. We are rebranding it in She Sports, and then helping mm-hmm. them with some volunteering and communication and stuff. So this weekend I'm gonna be actually in the French part, and then I probably. Would love to ride some bicycles up there. I'm going to see when and how. we got to organize that, man. I'm, I'm going to do this thing that's uh, organized by a Dutch guy called Where the Streets Have No Name. Have you heard of it? No. It's like one of the – this guy, Guy Sprousman, is like the kind of gravel guy for Holland. Mm-hmm. And um, and he organized one in the Alps. Uh, so I'm driving over there this weekend to to support him and to – also, just ride my bike for once because I've been organizing bike races but not riding them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you made the recce there. You made actually you have ridden your bicycle in the four stages, I think, yeah, in, uh, yeah, in it's, Kenya. It's, so it's, it's time to share. I yeah. agree. Yes, yes, yeah. No, but for sure, let's organize something. Let's have a ride together as soon as we can. It would be yeah. super fine for me. Now I'm gonna have a couple of weeks where I'm gonna be around, but 
I think August, September, October, whatever, I'm not going to move from the from Switzerland. So from August on, we can do something together. That sounds great. So it, also, it sounds like it's an awesome time in Switzerland too. Yes. Oh. Yes, yes, yeah. No, September is an amazing period to ride, for example. August can be a bit rainy, especially if you are in the mountains. can be, you know, in the afternoons, it's better to stay home, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But apart from that, yeah, this is the best. Also because passes just opened. Something like the last one opened a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. now it's perfect to ride here. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what I want to tell you more. No, yeah, I'm super happy actually that you're here as well. So for sure we are going to meet. We're going to ride some bikes. But now tell me more about Kenya. I don't know actually if you know the background, but when we first talk, so I've yeah. been collaborating with Alvento for a bit of time. And uh, when we first talk, I called Davide and I told him, look, Davide, what do you think? I was thinking about writing an article about the migration gravel race. It's perfect. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And I think that actually he forgot, kind of. Uh, but then I think that actually people from Brooks and the Pedalhead contacted him and then he called me straight away. Stefano, look, would you still want to write something about the race? Because we have amazing photos. And then I said... Uh, can you give me a deadline? Yes, is actually I have deadline the day after tomorrow, and <laughs> and then I told him, uh, uh, look, David, I would love to do it because I love the concept. I talk with Miguel, I talk with Michael, I talk with uh, Sule. I think it's a great story behind it. But next week I'm gonna be off the old time, so. Can you give me deadline? Because actually you told me that the deadline was supposed to be last Friday. If you mm. can give me till Wednesday, I can make it happen. So, yeah. Let's cool. Well, I'm glad it's you. Yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, why not? And then actually we had a call with Jacopo and Carlo from Brooks and Pedal and Brooks yeah. on Friday while I was moving from one side to the other. And uh, I got collected some information, especially their ideas and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, okay, probably I need to talk again with Michael in order to put stuff together. And uh, that's why we are basically here. Cool, man. <laughs> yes, yes. So tell me more, man. And tell me how it was and how do you feel as well? I would love to hear. I, anyways, I'm recording this conversation. It's not going to go live completely and just extrapolating yeah, no and getting yeah. out some of the information so I don't have to actually remember and write down everything i can write directly how was it look actually it's funny because um i think it was the last time that we spoke you said something to me and i don't know if you even recall it but it's something that really stuck with me because it was a it was a transition uh you said this there's a lot of hype around this race yes and um and i remember thinking as you said that okay so it's a signpost, right? Like we went from at first this kind of grassroots thing and then we got a little bit of momentum and then we're getting to the point where, you know, the broom wagon is saying that there is hype around the race. Yes. And of course with hype, the subtext was comes expectation, responsibility, you better deliver or you're just another one of these like social media generated things that has no substance behind it. Mm -hmm. you know, I can, uh, and I think we really started to, at least I started to feel like, okay, you know, the, I think there's a, now a crowd out there who's aware about this and, um, and it's going to go one of two ways, you know, like uh, we either meet our expectations, we live up to the hype or we were just another bullshit project on social media. Um, and yeah, and I, and I could see it started with, 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 with your comment, but I mean, it, it continued to build 
this idea that which way is it going to go? And I, I heard a lot of commentary, people being like, oh, it's probably going to be a shit show. You know, like it's these guys don't have experience organizing gravel races and they're trying to do it in, you know, a wild ass place, you know, all of these unknowns. Yeah. Uh, and I just listened to it, you know, and, and, and on our team, we were, me and James and various other people just kind of like secretly just hyping ourselves up, being like, because you know how it is when people are like kind of, oh, are you going to fail? And, and we knew, we knew that we had a good team. Mm-hmm. We knew we were on to something good. We just had to like deliver, you know, we just had to perform on the time. And, and some of the things were in our control, some of the things weren't like, you know, COVID situation and up until the last minute, you know, we were like, are people going to turn up? We don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are they going to lock half of the section of the race out because one county has declared COVID, you know, on the border of Uganda? Like all sorts of crazy things were happening. But uh, to answer your question, um, I'm not, I guess I'm not the best place to, to say whether or not it was a success. I think you'd have to talk to the people who uh, participated. But I think from an organizational standpoint, we had goals uh, and uh, modest ones, but we met those goals. So from that standpoint, I think uh, we're reasonably satisfied. Okay. Yeah, I can tell you actually adding to that, I talked with Jan Boswell. I talked with, okay, I talked with Sule, but he's an enthusiast anyways. And uh, mm-hmm. he was also part of your team at a certain point. So it's fine. Um, so I talked with Jan Boswell. I talked with uh, uh, Sule. I talked with David, how is his surname? Um Wait. No, Gan Jan. No, Kinja. Kinja, yeah. I talk yeah. with David Kinja. And I talk with Peter, the guy of um, Chasing the Chasing Peloton. The yes. Yeah, nice. Yeah, after you, I'm going to talk with Nancy. The thing that, and then Great. I talked with, uh, uh, as well, Jacopo and Carlo, that I think that actually they got on board later, right? Because of uh, different ways, but actually they were not involved since the beginning. Everybody told me, look, Stefano. We can talk about the race, we can talk about whatever you want, but actually the thing that really stands up in all the story of it is the organization. Finding the places, so seeing a lot of people that are just assembling tents and uh, taking them back at the day after, and water everywhere, and mechanical support, and food for everybody, drinks for everybody, the amazing landscapes, but still on the organization, it was just outstanding. So I can tell you that on this case, with all the people that they talk, everybody told me, and actually it's a bit more actually the thing that were in your hands, uh, I would say that everybody was super happy with that. So I wanted to add this comment on that. I think that everybody's freaking super, super, super happy. And That's great to hear. Yes, 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 absolutely. Really, that's something that... I wanted to explore, you know, on the talk with people because it actually came out once with the with the boss, then the second time, then the third time, and then I said, okay, yeah, it means that actually it was something really big and something that where probably I need to stress a bit more in the article because it's really it's really really interesting. And also another thing that I heard a lot, and I think that it's you know it, it was actually the meaning behind it because this could be you know with the hype that we were talking before this could be at the beginning that people would think okay this is gonna be just uh, another one of those races where you actually you are just collecting money of people you know you're taking people and doing a great tourist thing a tourist ride with zebras one of those full of money people moving around instead of with the i don't know with the cars and stuff but with the bikes but actually this something that came out especially in our first talk but also with other talks it was not like this 
and um, you really wanted to give an opportunity to Eastern African people, but African in general, to be challenged in their own place and see and uh, absorb the culture of cycling and the attitude of cycling of people, and that's super great, but also give them some support. How do you think it came out? So, Stefano, and this is something that also I could use your support in because... I think you're exactly right that uh, when people first come across this, they're thinking, oh, is this another one of these charity rides? You know, where like people, everyone, you know, there's a million of these things where you like pay a little bit of extra money, it goes to a good cause, but you just do the fun thing you wanted to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's the big, biggest thing that we have to kind of uh, unpack in people's minds because uh, there's just so much of that crap out there. But but what, and I would say that the difference is between our project and, and you know, your standard charity fondo is that the money that we raise off of, you know, the fees that it costs to, is, is secondary in importance. Mm. It's not the key issue. The key issue is the presence of uh, international talent, you know, uh, because just by being there, so having Ian Boswell and Lawrence Tendam there, they are, in fact, uh, providing a service that has been denied to these riders historically forever. Yes. Um, that they do not have access to international competition. The best way I can phrase this is that imagine like you're racing in your club team uh, and you're the best in your club. You could be forgiven for thinking that you're actually really good. and it only takes one trip to i don't know even if you went and did like a a big grand fondo like uh, i don't know um, uh, one of these oat routes or one of these kind of uh races in italy or who knows uh, and you realize that in fact out of a thousand participants you come in like place 450 Mm -hmm. even though you were the big fish in your club that's exactly the number one reason I think that's holding a lot of uh, these East African athletes back is that they just don't have access to better competition. So they're just racing each other, beating, you know, they're the best ones there, but they're not progressing. Mm-hmm. And it's true that you can, you can spend thousands and thousands of euros to get one or two of these athletes some international competition. But if you can just manage to fly that competition into Kenya, then you get the entire so we had you know the best of Kenya, the best of Rwanda, the best of Uganda, all of them experiencing this competition for the first time together. Yeah. So uh, from an efficiency standpoint, from a sustainability standpoint, and from yeah, just and also from a fairness standpoint, finally, you know, these guys get uh, access uh, to this sport that we all take for granted. You know, uh, we know where to find competition. It's easy for us to find it if we wanted to, but it's quite difficult for them. So. That's that was the key. That was the key objective of this race, uh, and I'm so thankful for uh, Ian and and Thomas Decker and and, and Lawrence to them for for kind of taking a gamble and, and coming out and checking it out because. And I told them the first day because uh, you know they're into the project, they're into the theme. I said the best thing you can do for me is you fucking go as hard as you can, mm-hmm. as, as you hold anything back, because if you do then you do a disservice to these people, you disrespect them, you disrespect their project, you disrespect everything. Yes. The best thing you can do is try to blow their wheels off. And because if you do, then everybody knows what they have to do. For once, they're like, oh, oh shit, there's this whole other level out there, and now I know where I need to train to. Yeah. If you don't, and they're in it, 
Well, then actually we know who we can send to these big opportunities who are ready this time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That was that was the key that was the key finding, the key understanding. Uh, we we saw also a lot of crazy things, you know, like it used to be that it was Rwanda uh, between the East African countries it was Rwanda, then Kenya, then Uganda in terms of uh, sophistication, progression, standard of athletes, etc. That's for the road. When we go off-road, the Kenyans were on another level. Yes. Uh, it was awesome to see. <laughs> they were ready, they were prepared, and they raced their asses off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the ones who will be getting these first opportunities to race internationally will be Kenyans. Uh, because we're trying to learn from the mistakes of the past, the mistakes from uh, from the early 2000s, where I think, uh, I mean, hindsight's 2020, but you send um, you send athletes that aren't ready to the pro- professional peloton, and you already meet a skeptical audience, uh, a very traditional audience in road cycling. Mm-hmm. And if you get your wheels blown off, they automatically feeds into all the prejudice and the subconscious thinking of these guys aren't ready. If they're here, it's a charity case. Right? If Africans are in the professional peloton, it's because of some charity bullshit. They don't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that mind, that collective mindset was made up in the early 2000s, and nobody has revisited it. Nobody. Yes. Forget about all the reasons why these guys are failing to break into the uh, professional peloton, whether it be cultural dynamics, pressure. Uh, you know, a, a schedule and, a, and, a, and everything else that doesn't necessarily conform to, to family life or for the people who have to travel quite far to, to engage in it. Millions of different reasons. It's just that they don't belong. And so what we're really hoping now with the gravel scene is that we send guys who are ready and that when they turn up and they make that selection and they're engaged and they're making the race even harder, people start to have that same reaction that they do in running where you see a dude from East Africa on a gravel start line and you go, Oh fuck. Yeah. This is going to be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the question that actually it was continue going up into my mind that I wanted to ask you. And now I have the opportunity. Uh, so it seems like um, Kenyan, okay, you were talking before about Rwanda, Uganda, and now we're talking about Kenya. The traditional part of East Africa actually was the tour of Rwanda, for example, or in, in the road and everything like this. Then talking with the Kenyan guys, I actually got to know that there's also a super good tradition of mountain bike, especially in Kenya. Why did you decide to go into this completely new field that is gravel. It's just because it's something that we are exploring right now, so you wanted actually to get into something fresh, or because actually probably you saw in the infrastructure in Kenya that actually there are a lot of gravel roads and probably they can train there and everything like this. Which one was the reason in order to break into the cycling world with something like this? on this fresh new gravel thing? I mean, there, there are, it's not just one reason. I'd say there are a number of reasons. The first one, though, definitely is the infrastructure. I mean, mm. Kenya is blessed with, I mean, so many beautiful gravel roads all over the country. In fact, way more than paved roads. Um, another reason is that if you're in the, the cycling scene in Kenya, uh, you see every week another terrible story about someone being killed on these limited roads by huge trucks and various other people who just don't aren't familiar with bikes being on the road. They're so limited. The paved roads are so few 
that they're in high demand for big shipping and trucking and various mm. other things. So they're just really, really dangerous. And it, and in the cycling community in Kenya, especially, it's just all about road cycling. So everyone is out there braving these terrible traffic conditions and getting, you know, uh, and getting hurt. So there was two obvious, like, you know, and even like time sensitive uh, um, uh, implications here with respect to gravel. The last one being that the guys who are organizing this uh, with me, we're all kind of into gravel as well. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> we were also making that transition from road to gravel and being like, uh, let's do things that we like to do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, something cool, uh, that, that we can also, you know, enjoy. So that, I think those are the kind of, uh, those are the main reasons. I think also the transition between road cycling and gravel, even just because of the bike is, is a lot easier uh, then the transition from from road to mountain biking, uh, where mountain biking can be very technical, you know. Uh, and if you haven't grown up doing mountain biking, uh, and we tell the guys, well, this is the only path to you know making a living in cycling. You need to become extraordinarily technical and yeah. take all these risks. It's not for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, the a lot of the traits that I think will make some of these guys stand out is that they're fifty something kgs and they climb, you know, uh, like the wind. Uh, so it's good. I think gravel has uh, an aspect to it where you can still maintain a lot of climbing and stuff, and still, you know, be in a sport. Whereas sometimes mountain biking can be. I mean, certain disciplines of mountain biking obviously entail climbing, but others are are kind of technical and. Uh, and downhilly and these kinds of things. So yeah. Anyway, those those are some of the reasons. Yes, I can feel completely the point. And also another thing that I saw is that I will try not to put it super harsh, but road is what it is. Road is everywhere basically the same. Mountain bike on the other side of the spectrum is more or less the same as well. But gravel is something unique. You know it as much as I do. And um, you go in the Netherlands, you have a kind of trial of gravel. Now probably you actually also experience it here in Switzerland. That's another thing. Kenya is completely a new thing. US is completely another thing. And also giving these kind of differences, uh, it's another thing that actually probably can make itself as a factor. You are going, for example, uh, people from West or something like um, American, Europeans are going into Kenya. They're not doing a road ride that can be done you know, gravel there in Kenya is unique as is unique in uh, any kind of other part of the world. And this gives as well an advantage to the Kenyan, for example, that they're riding in their own country. The, the, you're absolutely right, Stefano. And uh, that is obviously a huge appeal that there are less rules. What <laughs> so, is a gravel race? What's a gravel race? Yeah. Well, we, we decided what a gravel race was for us. No, but, you know, it doesn't have to be that every gravel race has to look exactly like Unbound. You know, absolutely. Uh, the, our gravel race can have things that people wouldn't dispute if it's even gravel because it was so hard, right? Uh, but there, are, there's no like rules body based in Switzerland that tells people how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least not yet. Yeah, uh, it's still kind of you know uh, terra incognita, and we can make up the rules as we go. So that's also obviously very appealing. Yes, uh, and in the rules-based system is also something that's held you know a lot of these East Africans back. Uh, traditionally in, in, in road cycling. So, yeah, getting in early and, and then and, and maybe and maybe carving a little space for, for East Africa out uh, and, and having a distinct 
you know, a race that's not quite like anything else is, uh, yeah, it's, it's also pretty motivating. Yeah. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask you is that, so I think it was Sule tell, telling me that. I asked him, what do you think that Jan Boswell, Lawrence Tendam got back once they actually they finished the race, they raced and uh, they moved back? And on the other side, what, um, what actually also the African got from the Europeans that come over, Europeans anyways, uh, the, the other guys, the pro guys that were coming and riding. And he told me something pretty interesting. He told me, uh, I think that actually the Africans, fortunately, they saw how raced how people are really racing for example seeing in the last stage uh young balls were attacking nine kilometers to the end and getting this technique and tactic or whatever and also seeing how they're fueling their body go to sleep how they actually they act like a sport people but on the other side i truly believe that uh people that came over here to ride the bike they really understood which one is the the grid probably so something like seeing athletes never giving up never thinking of okay i got a mechanical now i'm gonna go back home uh, because i cannot fix it but fixing the mechanical riding the bike and finishing and keep on continuing or pushing even if it's a stage that is not super technical but still having a mountain bike is still pushing and going hard and going really hard on that so never give up attitude do you think it's only that so do you think that actually people apart from everything i think that actually of course people that come over from us or came over from uk or from europe they also got to absorb all the culture and of course the landscapes and the wild um uh, the wild nature and everything but in a on the point of view of this, something like how special was the race, what do you think was the biggest exchange between the two groups, even if they were all together anyways? I mean, we did our best to force um, that cross-cultural dialogue. You can't make these connections happen. Those have to happen organically, but you can put people in a position to you know, experience things that perhaps they had never experienced before. I mean, even from the very beginning, uh, we put people in a nice hotel in Nairobi when they first landed. Um, because I could tell by some of the exchanges I was having uh, that people really, I mean, had no frame of reference for anything with respect to Africa. And they can be forgiven, you know? Like, if you just, uh, just follow media reports about Africa, you would think it's either war-torn or famine-driven dri or, you know, some kind of terrible thing is happening there, right? Mm -hmm. It's a place where terrible things happen or animals. That's it, yes. right? That's where most people's frame of reference. And so we wanted to already tackle that from the very beginning where you fly into a very fancy airport and then come and check into a very fancy hotel. And you're like, what the hell is yeah. this? <laughs> I was not expecting that, yeah. Yeah, already, already your preconceived notions are being challenged. Mm -hmm. And so we were hoping that from just the beginning, like, okay, so... The things I, I already thought about coming in here aren't right. So maybe I should keep an open mind. And then after that, you know, we take people and, you know, all the tents were integrated so that you couldn't just stick with the Italian block or the Dutch block or the Kenyan block. Same for the East African side, you know, because it's in our nature. Mm -hmm. It's in our nature to stick with who we know and the language we know and everything that we're familiar with. That's the tribal, you know, aspects that are printed in our DNA. But when we transcend those things and we go and we go out of our comfort zone, I think that's really where you have an experience that can be quite memorable. Um, 
and and I, and I think look, we, what we try to do is is foster that space and then allow people to kind of you know at their own speed at their in their own terms uh, bridge the gap. And I think it doesn't hurt that uh, you're challenging yourself and you're, you're you're pushing yourself beyond your 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 you know normal uh, threshold. And when you do that, your barriers, your, your strength, and your energy for having these barriers just fall as well. You know, so if you're exhausted and you're sitting by a fire, and you know that this guy's also gone through the same exact thing, you already have a common space, commonality. And then from there, you can spark up a conversation about anything. You know, uh, and I think I, I, we could tell that from day three and day four, especially like onwards. A lot of new friendships were being made. A lot of, you know, uh, discussions were happening around the fire. And I thought, you, you know, the importance of it, I, I'm not the one to say. You know, like, uh, it's, I think for the people who experienced it for the first time, I've had the, you know, the pleasure of, of being able to spend a lot of time in these countries. And I have my own friendships that have been fostered in similar ways. So the only thing I can do is create the space to allow people to experience something similar. And, I got the impression that that was happening, uh, but uh, yeah, I couldn't say for sure. Yeah, I can tell you actually that I think Peter told me that, and uh, that there seems like, as I remember, because I still didn't um, listen again the recording, but he told me something like, look, Stefano, maybe day one and day two, uh, they were tough days, first of all. Second thing, maybe into the, um, the camp, you could find some connection on your phone. But day three connection was off and everything was really you could not stay making breakfast for example instead of your phone or whatever so we really were there we forgot about our phones and we were there uh, having our meal chitty chatting or whatever and probably this was the best day because from day three really some relationships started I don't know, cementing a bit more. And that's uh, that's another feedback that I can give you. This was actually what Peter told me. And it seems like, I don't know, pretty interesting as a point of view. You know, you get out completely. You don't even have the last hook that you had in your uh, normal life. And then, okay, now you really can start building up things. You also build, I mean, uh, it's the first year of this race, but, you know, we plan on doing this every year, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and you build a, a natural constituency within cycling of people who are more open-minded, who won't be shocked to see that uh, cycling now caters to people outside of Europe. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. It's not just a niche sport. If they saw, you know, Sule doing the transcontinental race, they're going to just be applauding him and cheering him, not asking him what, what is he actually doing there? Is he qualified? Is he good enough? Uh, so that's also kind of a neat thing, you know, and it's not, again, it's not for us. It's just for us to create a space and it's for people to go experience and then go out and live their normal lives, but being a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more international, uh, or at least having that nuanced worldview include for the first time, possibly East Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so that's something. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I just want to ask you another couple of things. Maybe we are going to be a bit over time. Uh, if you have something to do, whatever, kick me out. Huh? No, 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 no. Let's go, man. Okay. No um, so the first thing that I want to ask you is actually I want to ask two things maybe in the same way. Uh, I will start from here. The thing, the first thing that I noticed actually is that um, on so in the group, so in the bunch of people that were riding, there were not so many women taking part of it. Uh, I think there were four or five. Now I don't remember. Well, uh, there was a, there was eleven who started. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, but so yeah. 
one thing we could do better. Yeah. So what? Why do you think was? I think it's more like it was way. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you said eleven. So it was more or less one fourth of the participants, something like this. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I can yeah. I can tell you that more or less I would say that probably is one third uh, in the other events. But where yeah. do you think actually probably you could have done better on that? There's no doubt we can do better. Um, it's not for lack of trying, though. I know uh, that it's, it's been on our radar from the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, and we were actively soliciting as much female participation as we could. We were, frankly. Uh, even giving the nod to to some athletes who we even knew uh, weren't ready to complete the whole race, but just wanted to give opportunities to to just make sure there was more inclusivity with, with mm-hmm. respect to women. Um, yeah, I, I, I just hope I hope actually with all of the attention um, that we've been so lucky to 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 gain and, and to have. That this comes on the radar of more serious uh, uh, female athletes, uh, and that they are also willing to take a gamble. Maybe they wanted to some of these riders just sit on the fence and see how it goes to make sure it was safe, or, or I don't know. It, I don't know what the reason was exactly, uh, but for sure we are going to actively solicit uh, way more female competition. It's super important for the project as well uh, because. Uh, the ladies in East Africa also need to see their female counterparts internationally, uh, understand that this is also, this particular genre of cycling is potentially a way forward for them if they wanted to be serious about, you know, cycling as a career option. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, need, they need heroes. They need people to follow. They need people to inspire them uh, so that they, they can see the path for themselves. So, yeah, I, but uh, if anyone is listening or, or read the article and uh, we, we very much will be looking to uh, increase the number of female participants next year for sure that's super great um, another thing that I wanted to ask you is about um, Team Amani itself I remember that the first time that we talked probably uh, so it was not already like it is now there was the concept but actually it evolved uh, in the way that actually it is now it's uh, from uh, uh, both Jacopo and uh, and and uh, David, I think I actually and Carlo as well. I actually understood that now is becoming something like a bit more like a coordination of different clubs that are around East Africa in order to give to everybody a bit more of visibility and possibilities to move around. Uh, how do you think actually this evolution went through and? At what step are you now? Into what level of progression you are now? I love these interviews, Stefano. You ask real questions, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> you are <laughs> you are more than I'm welcome. No, that, I'm thank serious. you, man. So, so many times we do these interviews, and I'm like, ask the same kind of shit over and over again. But you ask real questions, and it's thank very you, interesting. Man. Nice conversation. I really appreciate your work. Um, Thanks a lot. Um. Yeah, the progression. So basically, it came out of an interview where somebody was asking me, oh, so what's the next step? I guess you want to be a world tour team. Like Team Amoni is a world tour team. And I thought, shit, is that how people are looking at this? Because that's exactly what we do not want to do. (laughs) Uh, What we wanted to do was shine a light, and a spotlight on the teams that are, you know, in these respective countries who have their own goals. We didn't want to take that light from them. And so as soon as I heard that, I had this aha moment where I'm like, okay, this Amani, team Amani thing is a distraction. Mm. 
and it's putting light on on what our project rather than the underlying projects. So um, we took away the kind of team aspect of it. Uh, well, I shouldn't say we took away. We um, we downplayed it. So there are three projects within uh, or three initiatives within the Amani project. So mm. the Amani project is the umbrella company. Uh, underneath it, you have the migration gravel race. Uh, you have this ride online campaign where we put all these trainers in the different clubhouses and then you have these online racing teams and training facilities and all these other things through Swift and Sufferfest. And then the third thing is when uh, some of the riders are selected by the clubs, they can come to Europe and race together as one team. So not just the Kenyan riders, not just Masaka Cycling Club or, or you know, Adrian Niyashuti Cycling Academy. But they come together under one team, racing with some Dutch guys. That would then be team Amani. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a smaller thing, right? So it, it's it's just when that happens, not when they're competing in Rwanda or when they're competing in Kenya on their own. Then we really want to showcase their teams. So we want to showcase the Kenya riders. We want to showcase the Masaka Cycling Club, the Safari Simbas, Adrian the Ashuti Cycling Academy. Mm-hmm. Not take the spotlight away from them. That was the fear. So that's why when you hear that there has been an evolution, it's true. Uh, but uh, one that's really, again, trying to showcase what not only these athletes, but their coaches are doing and not take the spotlight away from them. Okay, okay. Makes a lot of sense. And then actually also concentrating something all together, the support that you can get out of it and uh, and everything. Well, that's do. the other thing. From a corporate standpoint, you, you can see very clearly that, you know, these big cycling corporations are not going to get into the weeds about who is doing what in East Africa. They prefer to have one entity that they trust is doing a good job. They put the resources there and then uh, we distribute them according to the needs of the teams. So that's the model that we're going to now. Um, And and yeah, I think, uh, I think it seems to suit everyone equally, right? Because the, we don't, Again, we don't say we think you need these helmets or you need these things. It's for the teams to, uh, to express their needs. And we are just the middleman to kind of uh, between the corporations and these teams and making sure they get what they ask for. That's very great. And I actually loved um, the first thing that you talk about. So something like the Amani project with this on top and then behind it also the migration gravel race so and then everything that is together on that so it's really something like all the development project going in one side and uh, the migration gravel race is not just an entity a thing that stays there by itself in order to collect i don't know more pros to coming and more money from sponsors and whatever but it's really everything on the development of that area area of uh, of africa that's it because the race itself isn't going to meet the goal you know, mm-hmm. we can have as many, you know, big names as we want, but one race a year is not going to uh, change the lives of these athletes. Um, we need more. And, and not only just from our, our particular project, but inspiring others who have nothing to do with the money to go out and start gravel races in Tanzania, in Uganda, in Rwanda, um, and, and then have, you know, have there be a circuit, have there be, you know, different places where people can go and, and compete against each other. That's what we want. We want to inspire, even if people might consider it competition, we don't care. Yeah. Uh, there has to be more races on the calendar. We have to build this culture. 
Uh, and it's not just gravel, right? So we don't want to put all our cards in gravel. So we're also still pursuing this online campaign and we're still also trying to showcase talent on the road uh, in Holland and various other places in Europe. So it's all of the above strategy. And, and, and hopefully we, you know, we, we, get, we keep getting new volunteers with fresh ideas and, uh, and we have more projects under the, under the umbrella yes. going forward. Yeah, 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 that's super great. Uh, stepping back for one second into the, the sport thing, really. Another thing that I actually really liked, and this was actually into the conversation that I got that came out a lot, is all the organization that was behind the race itself. So local people that were taking care of the bikes, uh, local people and people from the villages that were taking care about uh, yeah, the camping and uh, the food and everything. Uh, all this kind of part. How do you think actually, how would you consider, how do you consider also this part into the development of the race and of your project? It's not only a sport thing, right? Probably cycle, cycling is the vehicle, as I call it also for my podcast, it's just the tool, the key to get in. But it's not only that, right? I think that's also the interesting thing about gravel, because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're only doing road cycling, you take for granted that there will be paved roads. You know, uh, the, it's the state's responsibility to keep the roads paved. <laughs> But in gravel, what we really are searching for, uh, a lot of us at least, is uh, adventure and unspoiled, you know, land. And, uh, and yeah, you know, just to get out there, get away from it all. Uh, and, and I think increasingly, you know, with, with the planet being in the, in, in the crisis that it's in, the cycling community is late to this game. Uh, about taking responsibility for uh, keeping spaces undeveloped. Uh, you know, we just ride through them and we're just like, well, you know, great, I found something. And then I pass through it and that's the end of it. But uh, in Kenya, I mean, you can see it very, very clearly that uh, there's a lot of tension around, uh, around undeveloped land because the human population continues to grow. Mm -hmm. They have demands. Uh, they're, they're growing, you know, from an economic standpoint quite quickly. They want, everyone wants their own piece of land to feed their families. And if, if we as a cycling community, we're only one of these communities, but we need to take our responsibility as well to show the economic value of undeveloped land. And it has to actually go to the place, you know, to the people who own that land, yeah. not just the people who tend to be well situated to profit off of undeveloped land. In this particular case, you know, it's, it's a long backstory and, uh, and it's politically sensitive, but it goes all the way back to the colonial period and the people who still trace their lineage back from that period are still today the ones who tend to benefit the most from tourism dollars and from, you know, land that was set aside for animals, etc. And that's why there's so much tension with the local population because they, you know, basically see this as, Um, sentimentality, Western sentimentality about animals and, and, and absolutely no empathy whatsoever for, you know, the economic situation of the human beings that live there and for their children. Yeah. So they're like, you know, you cry for the zebra, but not for my kid who doesn't have enough to eat. So fuck off. So we, I think, uh, we at least, you know, and again, I, I do not want to overstate the importance of a four-day bike race. But what we wanted to do from the very beginning is to just look at everything that we could do and how many things that we could source from the local population. Everything that we can source from them, we will source from them. Uh, all of the support, you know, whether it be on like the, for, for animal support or, you know, race logistic support or 
water or food or anything. Uh, and then also paying them for the use of the land uh, when we stay on it directly um, and, and employing quite a lot of people from the, from the community. It's a start. And we have lots of ideas about, uh, about where we can go from there um, to, to increase the amount of responsibility that they take in it. Uh, but I can already see the progression from when we did the recon to this race uh, and the way that the, the Maasai really welcomed us uh, we're really enthusiastic, particularly the young people. Um, so, so maybe you know, in a in a very small way, we can contribute to this, or at least set a model that anyone else who wants to do something similar, whether it be you know uh, running events or other cycling events or whatever in these lands, um, follow the same model, uh, or maybe even the Maasai will insist on it from now on. Okay, you know. Because now they know that they should be paid for these things uh, and, they, and that there is an economic value to it. And maybe that, you know, the next person who comes to try to do something on their land will have to pay as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, a doubt that I have, and I wanted to talk with you as well now, today, uh, is that I can see probably a gap, right? Where somebody who doesn't follow your same ideals can sneak in. And they mean, if tomorrow... If in 2025, migration gravel rates will become really on all the news, everywhere, everybody can see and experience how cool it is to ride bikes in Kenya on gravel for tourism or just cycle touring or whatever it is, somebody can actually take over everything and say, okay, let's move, that can be everything. I don't know, actually, I'm not super experienced on the political situation in Kenya or in the private situation in Kenya, but they can say, okay, that's a gap that can be filled just by creating some private tour operators or whatever that will drive people on riding the bike instead of putting them into jeeps or stuff. Do you think there is the risk about that there? I also think that's the cool thing about the gravel scene. Mm. You know, I don't think the gravel scene would tolerate that kind of bullshit. Okay. Um, I think if they saw someone come in and try to do like make it super commercial um, and super shiny and and uh, and with none of the uh, of the aspects that we've you know really thought a lot about and really worked our asses off to make happen. I don't think the gravel scene would just say, okay, well, let's just do the shiny thing. I mean, you already see, you know, uh, I don't want to call out names, but you can already see that where there was a kind of really cool marquee event and then someone tries to do a corporate aspect, like a corporate version of it in the same place. Let's say somewhere in North Africa. I won't Mm -hmm. get specific. Yes, yes, Uh, yes. You can, I think, personally, there's only one of those races I want to do. Um, I'm not looking to do the, the corporate one. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking to do the original one. Um, maybe those things will change, you know? Uh, I don't know. As, 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 as the UCI and various other entities try to get involved in gravel. Um, but I, I don't know. At the moment, I'm, I'm hopeful. Okay, okay. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense and I can completely understand what, what you mean here. And I completely, I met the end of the day, really part of the grassroots, as you called it before, of the gravel scene. And I completely see your point that probably people that want to live the real experience know the difference of 
was an artifact and what's the real thing and the enjoyable mm. part of it. So yeah, I can see the point. Man, last thing that I knew I want to ask you, and it's the classic thing. So probably you can call it bullshit and don't answer to that. But that's a question that I wanted to ask you anyways. What's next? <laughs> what do you think? How do you think it's going to be the evolution? Well, what's next for the race or what's the next thing we're, we're doing? Uh, what's next for both? So right now we're 100% focused on um, getting those top athletes from the migration uh, to the U.S. to race in the steamboat gravel race and the Belgian waffle race. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully also um, uh, this race in Vermont called uh, Vermont Overland. Um, so you call this one race remote? Uh, sorry? Vermont Overland. The Vermont Overland. That's something that I need to write yeah. down, man. Sorry, but yeah. because I talked, I think, with somebody, but I didn't write down. So Vermont Overland Gravel Race. Thanks. Sorry. So, and, and then, you know, and that's not easy, right? Because we're talking like visas and all of these logistical considerations and flights and blah, blah, blah. But, um... Yeah, if we get all that organized, and that's all very, coming up very soon, you know, the first it's August, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we also want to get three other athletes over to Europe uh, to join with Team Amani uh, to do some crit racing in Holland and to just experience European life in the summer and you know get familiar with these things. So those are the things that are keeping us up at the moment and you know taking all of our time. Um, there has been a couple of like meetings with beers to talk about next year and MGR and, and all of these other things. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the key questions really will be, you know, a lot of people will say that, uh, you know, was it too hard? Uh, was it, uh, should we make it more sort of like uh, gravel bike friendly rather than, you know, uh, mountain bike friendly or something mm -hmm, like that? Mm -hmm. Um, these are considerations that we'll have to go, we go back and forth on. I mean, we, we've always thought about them, but at the same time, you know, I have a suspicion that anybody who finished the gravel, the migration gravel race would be pretty pissed off if we made it easier. It's, <laughs> the, same the, thing. <laughs> it's the same thing that happened with, um, and anyways, the second edition is always different than the first edition. Uh, I was at the Silk Road number, Silk Road Monte race number two. Now, in the Silk Road number race number one, I think that 30%, even if even less, of people finish the race. In the edition number two, we're almost 50%. And I was talking with Nelson and he told me, you didn't change so much. Why do you think actually there was this increase? And he told me, well, just people get more prepared. They know what to expect. They that know is exactly right. That is exactly right. I had the same conversation earlier today. And I said, you know what, like Ian Boswell, for example, he lost a lot of time in the first stage. Yes. But if you ask Ian, he say it was his it was his fault. You know, he he didn't have his tire pressure right. He wasn't ready for what you know the first stage threw at him. Yeah. I think I think after this, nobody will make that mistake again, or at least not as many people will make it again. They'll be better prepared. Uh, a lot of the people lost a lot of time because they just weren't able to deal with the mechanical issues that they faced in a quick way and it took them too much time i think going forward people are going to be practicing these things you know like uh training and, and be way more efficient exactly yeah. it's part of the training yeah the navigation is part of the training all of it is part of the training you yeah. know yeah, yeah uh, so, so it's not going to be exactly like some of the other races it's different 
but that's also what makes it i hope special mm-hmm. yeah 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 yeah, because um, talking about actually what happens, ne- what happens next and the race and whatever, I remember that I had this conversation and I think that the ratio of competing people for the win, or anyways, people that's hardcore that they're going to finish or not, and people that want to come over and have the experience is different from the Migration Gravel Race to the Silk Road Monte Race, Transcon, or whatever it is. Why that? Because there are some more restrictions, first of all. Because, anyways, uh, at a certain point, you need to cut the road and tell to people, okay, go back home because you, it's not safe to stay out. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. On the other side, there is the... Uh, pushing the competition super high because we need actually the Eastern African people and riders and athletes get to know how it is. So these two factors mm-hmm. actually will probably shrink a bit more the explorers, let's call it in this way, people that are going to come. Do you think in the, in the same way or do you want also to... And also, wait, I was forgetting about logistics. I don't think that you can move 300 people like in the synchro- no. on the sorry on the um, transcontinental race into Kenya to make all the efforts logistically that you have to do, and that's another factor. But do you think that actually you're going to continue moving in this way? You there is in the plan to open up a bit more also into this. I don't want to call them leisure riders, but I want to call them a bit more explorers. Uh, yeah. What do you think? It's a, again, a great question. Um, we want to go forward on both fronts. Mm. So we want to make it more competitive. Okay. Uh, have more professionals uh, um, who are 100% focused on that overall win, who are going to push our athletes, who are going to set that bar um, on both sides, men and women. That's 100% our focus. But at the same time, we're looking at how we can create um, an experience where the explorers can come you have to be serious, though. Uh, this is not, you know, like a safari on a bike. I say it a hundred times. Uh, you can't just like, you know, have a little ride for fifty kilometers and jump in the broom wagon. It's it's a real drain on the on the organization, and we're going to be way more critical about that going forward. But people who are serious don't have to be professional athletes. You know, like you say, explorers who who spend, okay, this is my objective of the year. I'm going to spend a year training for it. I'm going to be physically capable of completing this race um, and who are able to demonstrate that, we'll have something for them as well. Uh, and, and how it looks and concurrently and how it works, we're still figuring that out. Um, but I do think it's nice for those two worlds to kind of coexist. That is that, that's what's nice about the gravel scene, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not just so cutthroat, sporty, like everyone, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to have that race scene in gravel where you know it's just real serious you know and people come with their teams and you know all sorts of support none of that crap and i think the explorer crowd really helps to like keep people's feet on the ground because you know they're in it for the experience and they're in it and have fun as well so it's nice i think it's a nice dynamic around the fire um and yeah we'll increase the number i think we can uh, safely do this at probably the number of a hundred okay um and then, uh, and then maybe also have what well, we have this thing called the Migration Gravel Series, yes, which is six one-day events all over Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we may also have like on the last stage uh, a, a Migration Gravel Series, like a kind of one-day fondo, so that a bunch of people can come and do that uh, with everyone else. 
but then they're not being carted all over the Masai Mara, right? So they're just based in one place and they can go and have, they can experience one of the stages. Um, so, so I think there will be something for, for, for more writers, but I don't ever really foresee it being something like uh, you can just rock up without having trained for it. Okay. Uh, that's not, not that kind of race. Yes. Uh, it's not that kind of race. Uh, but actually, it's also your philosophy, right? Something like to see the applications of people that actually want to participate, want to get part, and decide by one by one through a questionnaire or whatever, right? That's also the same thing that you have done. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, we, we really went into it this time because it was critical that we had the right people with the, with the good ideas, the good mindset. Yeah. Um, Level of commitment as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it only takes a couple of assholes, right? Uh, and then, you know, the dynamic in the whole race is kind of spoiled. So, yeah. I mean, you can, never, you can never really, you know, know for 100% if you, there's always a sneaky asshole here and there. But yeah. uh, we were lucky this time. Uh, that's another thing that actually I remember I was discussing when, uh, I think, yeah, when I was in Kyrgyzstan with Nelson. And this was exactly the same thing. In my opinion, this job, or choosing the right people to take part to the events is probably the most difficult one. So it's okay having the recon, setting up the track, uh, helping people and follow them in order to give them support or whatever. That's difficult. But choosing the right one is even more difficult. Fortunately, our community is not so big, so you will always find somebody who knows somebody else. But still... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or have participated in an event that you know. Uh, so it, it's easier, and plus, also with social media, you can follow. <laughs> you can follow people and see what they're about, you know, over yeah. a course of uh, of time. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 getting easier uh, without being too stalkerish. Um, but again, like you say, it's really important. Um, it's really important that people come with you know with with the good mindset. Yeah, you got to be open. Like uh, Kenya throws a lot of shit at you, you know, um, a lot of unexpected things. If you're not uh, used to dealing with adversity, this is not the race for you. But go and do something more groomed and controlled, you know. And, and I'm not looking down on those things. Those things have a place, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. But if you're looking, for, if you're looking for, you know, testing yourself and experience something new, uh, and being with a bunch of other like-minded people, this is, you know, possibly for you. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you last thing and then I will open the mic if you want to add anything else, something that you think that we're missing and stuff. And the last question is the most stupid of them all. I can refer to the race still like migration gravel race, right? This is the official yeah. name. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I mean, you might hear people like refer to it as MGR, but uh, it's just the initials. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I'm going to put MGR or Migration Gravel Race because I heard a lot of people calling it Migration Race, but it didn't seem super correct. I mean, people maybe just get lazy. <laughs> okay. But please, yeah, it's MGR uh, for sure. Migration okay, Migration, migration Gravel yeah. Race or MGR. I'm going to refer yeah. on the article in this way. That's yeah. perfect. I think I actually went through all the things that came over to my mind into uh, this process of trying to putting together information. So I don't know if you want to add anything else. The only thing maybe is just, uh, again, um, a, sh a shout out and some visibility to the people who made this happen. Like yeah. I got this guy, um, the logistics guy, you know, the people who were talking about how well this was organized. Well, the reason behind that is that we have a guy who's a third generation Kenyan who's been putting on these kinds of adventure um, events in national parks of Kenya for 20 years. His father did it before him. His grandfather did it. Like they know the Mara. He knows the Mara. 
Um, he knows the people of Kinamara. Um, and without him uh, and his team, who also like they do kayaking stuff in the rivers and, and, and hikes up Mount Kenya with huge teams. So he's got like this, it's like a well-disciplined army. Uh, and uh, that's what makes this possible. Uh, and his name is, amazingly, James Savage. Uh, okay. His last name is Savage. <laughs> I don't believe you, man. Yeah, nobody believes it, but it's true. He comes from a long, a long tradition of savages. He even has savage children. It's amazing. That's great. Um, and actually, and, uh, his company is the Savage Wilderness, Wilderness. Company, right? Yeah. Wilderness Company. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's I will be sure of mentioning him. I was just. I don't know. I could have I could have worked a bit more and maybe having on the microphone as well, but it's gonna happen another time, Bonelli. Yeah, I mean he's a he's he's just one of these class acts who's happy to to do the back uh, backstage ah. stuff. But he's he's really great. Uh, he's worth his weight in gold. Uh, and then also, um, you know, yeah, a guy who helped me organize this was is called Simon Blake. Uh, he had moved back to Australia after COVID, but uh, he's also been doing a lot of uh, backstage stuff. And then lastly, Leanne, uh, uh, and Leanne, it's not like Leanne. Um, she, her guidance through this process has really helped us step it up. Uh, like we went from, you know, modest ambitions to, to quite uh, sizable ones. Uh, and, uh, and we basically opened up her Rolodex, if you can still use that metaphor, and, uh, and you know, contacted the people she knew in the industry. She, she was vouching for us and gave us the, that initial credibility. So without Leon, I mean, it would have just been a race with me and my friends. So, uh, no, so it's just a great team. And, and these are just a few of the people who have been involved. There's so many, uh, Sule as well. Um, so, yeah, um, I'd just be, yeah, it would be wrong for me not to include them in the, I would be sure actually to put them in and uh, with cool. no problems just give me the last information actually how did you meet James then yeah so I mean the the whole idea actually came about it's funny because I, so again I'm, I work uh, in these countries for my day job and um, I, I specifically spent a very a lot of time and a lot of emotional time in Kenya uh, and when we left from my, my day job, I wasn't sure I'd ever go back. Uh, it was, uh, it was uh, a hard period. And um, when we started this Amani project, originally we were just focused on countries surrounding Kenya because, I, again, it was, like, it was like a bad breakup. I wasn't sure I could go back to Kenya. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the guy who was helping to organize the Kenyan Riders uh, reached out to me. Uh, I was on mission in Uganda. And he said, I'll fly to you just to have lunch with you. I want to run a, a couple of ideas by you. So his name is Simon Blake. He came over. We had lunch together. He starts telling me about, you know, uh, I, mean, I already knew about the Kenyan writers, of course, but uh, he starts telling me about their financial situation and that, you know, everything that they had built was in danger and all this stuff. And, and then we just started brainstorming about ways to... Uh, to kind of shore up their financial situation. And that's where the idea of this race came about. Uh, it was just, you know, this gravel was obviously blowing up and, and I was quite familiar with the landscape there and, and everything. So I just said, what about a gravel race? Uh, and so he went and uh, directly after started doing a, a recon of, of routes and things to get something together. He brought Savage on board. Uh, together they came up with a, 
was about that looked plausible. I mean, he'll tell you the story. He just kept going back and forth. I was like, no, it's got to be harder. No, it's got to be harder. They're like, no, it can't be. And I was like, no, harder, harder, harder. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and then and then I put my money where my mouth is, and uh, we did that recon in October to, to test it at race speed and, and to make sure that the logistics were ready to go before we really did the hard sell on this event. Uh, and when I came away from it, I mean, exhausted and broken, but uh, confident that we had the people in place to do it. So yeah. that's how it happened. Okay, okay, that's great. Actually, another question came out into my mind. It's going to be the last, I swear. Uh, no worries, man. It was actually planned to be, uh, so now it happened in June 2021, but it was planned to be in October 2020, am I correct? You changed, oh, well, we you... did the rec- we did the recon in October. Okay, um, that was just to test it. Originally, we were going to do it in January. January, okay. Um, but then, yeah, because of COVID and everything, we we pushed it back. Um, I actually think that this is probably where we'll keep it now. Okay, um, because it also coincides with the migration of the wildebeests. Uh, so there's a lot of animals on course, which is awesome to see. And it's the least likely to be rained out in terms mm. of the seasonal change, even though we got some big rain at the end, not during the race, but uh, yeah, yeah, after yeah. the I heard about that, and everybody seems yeah, like it was, it was a blessing, like, right? When it rains there, it's like a flash flood, so it really can be quite uh, treacherous. Um, so, yeah, I think for those reasons, we'll probably keep it around uh, uh, June going forward okay yeah because i wanted to ask you if actually there were in your opinion any problem of moving it from january to june or whatever i think it was actually the perfect decision and now you're going to keep it there so yeah okay that's perfect yeah yeah Yeah. even if we are not recording for the podcast i need to put one coin into my did i talk to you about my broomwager covid jar yeah, you did. And yeah. I was very keen not to mention it until just now. <laughs> I had to put another coin. I think I, because I finished the episodes for this year, now I need to collect the money. I'm preparing also one page at Sea uh, uh, Watch uh, page. is in German, so I'm trying to prepare it. And then I'm going to close, actually. It's almost full. I, was, I did a great job. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks a lot. Really, really, thanks a lot, Michael. It was sure, a great thank chance. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure. Yes, it would be actually something like the backbone of my whole article. And uh, as already David said, I'm going to be sure, actually, send him the, the address. I'm going to be sure to for you to receive, actually, the uh, the article and the newspaper. Uh, sorry, the magazine as well. Um, but will it be in Italian? In Italian, yes. So if you want, actually, you can call me. I will translate it straight away in English. No, I'll just put it in Google Translate. It'll be fine. Anyway, Italian is very close to Spanish, so it should be okay. Yes, yes, yes. No, but uh, yeah, it's in this way. Once that is going to be published and stuff, once it is going to be approved, I can also give you directly my article and you can have the digital one. So cool. I'm going to write on that in the next couple of days. I cannot actually promise you that I'm not going to go live with this chat that we have today, though. I will let you know. I will ask you for permission because it was super good. It was super relaxed. It was a nice chat. Why not make it something like a special episode also fulfilling with other stuff? I will let you know if I'm going to do it. I'm easy, man. Whatever you want. Perfect. Thanks a lot again, Michael. And whatever. We're going to talk soon, right? And we're going to meet even sooner. We are. We definitely have to. We're both in Switzerland. It would be a crime not to. Absolutely. Thanks a lot again. Have a nice evening. Talk soon. Ciao. Later.